And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Forum Club. I'm Bill Oram, joined by Jovan Buha. Lakers wrapped up their longest road trip of the season. Four and three, Jovan. No LeBron, no AD. Intermittently, players in and out of the lineup. Markeith Morris missed a game. Wesley Matthews missed a couple games. Andre Drummond's toenail disappeared somewhere along the way. If you're the Lakers, you feel pretty good about this result, aren't you? This is an emphatic win. We had this discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you, uh, Slater and I, and and I think we were ballparking at, at like one in six to three and four as a realistic outcome. And I think we all were in agreement that two and five was probably the, the, the most realistic. And they completely exceeded expectations. And, um, you know, I, I do think, to not play, you know, Debbie Downer, but I think the the schedule ended up kind of breaking out in their favor a little bit with, with just some of the opponents being shorthanded. And of course the Lakers are shorthanded, but you know, I think if, if they had played every team at, at full strength or close to full strength, I, I think their record is a little bit worse. Uh but but that's the breaks of the game. And you know, the, the Lakers definitely had several breaks. I mean, I, I put it in my story uh that, that went up today and I I put it in uh the, the podcast last night. Like the list of injuries that the Lakers have had, not just this season, but specifically like if, if you're including AD and LeBron who've been out for a while uh, and then Jared Dudley, who's also been out. But the rest of the available guys, when you look at it, the only two guys who have not suffered some type of injury over the last two weeks are Montrez Harrell and Ben McElmore. And Ben McElmore has not been with the team for the entirety of that time. And Montrez Harrell is the only guy who's been you know, healthy, but he also had a game that he only played two minutes and was ejected. So, and then THC has been healthy, but he was suspended for, for that game. So, I mean, just the amount of time that it, it's not been like one guy, two guys, three guys, it's been literally every single player available on the roster has suffered some type of injury or, or situation that has caused them to miss time. And for them to go four and three over the stretch, uh, you know, on this trip, six and seven since LeBron's injury, to have the second best defense over that period, like that's just amazing. It's it's incredible. And looking out for, for me, the most positive trend that I could take away from this whole period is that them having that an elite of a defense, missing their two best defenders, in my opinion, and I, I think in most people's opinion, um, that just I think bodes incredibly well. You add LeBron and AD back to this, the offense is going to get much better. They're going to figure that out. It might not be great, but it just has to be good enough. And then the defense is just amazing. You know, they still have the league's best defense, second best over this period. Like we were going through that weird period where I think we all were waning a little bit with our optimism in the Lakers. And it was just like, you know, are they going to be healthy and they're not playing well? And for me, like this period is, is, is kind of flipped that where I'm just like, if this team is healthy, I still consider them the favorites, the clear favorites. Like I would put them over Brooklyn. Like I'll put them over anybody because I think when you have a defensive identity, the way that they do, plus the star power offensively. Like, I just don't see how they, they shouldn't be the favorites. 
as long as they're healthy, which of course is a big if, I guess, depending on what happens with LeBron and AD. So you kind of hit the nail on the head, I think. But um, Andre Drummond said the same thing the other night about about the lineup, going back to kind of your first point, where he said, you know, we're playing with a different five every night when we're stepping on the court. And I think the fact that they were able to consistently summon the effort that was required to be in these games. I mean, that Miami game, they had no business being in. Um, and, you know, I thought acquitted themselves very well. That's a loss, but like, that's pretty close to suddenly being a, you know, a five and two road trip with that game. And so I thought, um, you know, strong trip from the Lakers, good chance for guys like Andre Drummond and Ben McLemore to get their feet wet. But now really everything is going to all attention turns to the return of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now we, there was a report from ESPN over the course of this road trip that, you know, AD was maybe two weeks away and LeBron still three, uh, the part that was interesting there was the AD timeline because we just haven't gotten a timeline on AD. Uh, LeBron, that's about what we expected going into this. We always said this this was going to be around a six week injury, and that still seems you know to be the case. Where I wouldn't expect to see him before you know the start of May. The Lakers have a game on May second, you know maybe in there. AD is the interesting one, and Frank Vogel said you know he'd be reevaluated when they got back to LA. It's going to take some time, I think, to get him up to speed where he has been. He's missed. Jovan, maybe you have the number, but he's missed you know, more than two months at this point. Or I guess today is actually the um, the two-month mark since he hurt himself against Denver. So to me, it's going to take a little bit of time to get him back up into conditioning and up to speed before you start throwing him into games. So the questions really the Lakers are facing now, when do you get those guys back? How much time do they have to build chemistry with these new guys and reestablish chemistry with the guys who've been playing? And then what does the rotation and everything look like going into the playoffs? I mean, I feel like the Lakers are going to have a real mad dash getting into the postseason, not just for seeding, but to kind of reacclimate to one another. What do you think is going to be the most important thing for the rest of the Lakers when AD returns? Because I, I think we can assume that there's going to be at least a small stretch where the Lakers are going to have AD back, but not yet LeBron. Yeah, just to follow up on, on the point you just made, he's missed 33 games this season. It doesn't feel like that. He had missed five before this injury. So he's missed 28 consecutive games. We've gone, as you said, two months without seeing Anthony Davis play basketball. I mean, it it feels like that, but it also doesn't feel like that. But I think when he returns, the thing I'm most interested in is the offensive fit with him and Andre Drummond. Because in theory, I know it it worked for the Lakers last season playing AD next to a more traditional, you know, paint-bound center. But at the end of the day, Anthony Davis played 60% of his minutes at the five in the playoffs. And he did, I guess, kind of play more minutes in, in the playoffs with, with Dwight than with JaVale. But Dwight was also a guy who kind of was moving around, setting screens, hanging out in the dunker spot. Like, I think he's a little bit more active off the ball than Andre Drummond is. You know, Drummond is a guy we've seen likes to post up. So it was Dwight, but I think Drummond is a guy who's 27 still relatively in his prime, coming off a couple recent all-star appearances. Like in the grand scheme, Dwight is the more accomplished player. Like I'm not making that comparison, but at the current stages of their career, Dwight was in a, I have to do whatever it takes to to stay in the league type situation where Drummond, I think, is in a little bit of a different spot. And clearly the Lakers promised him he'd be the starting center. They have run several post-ups for him. I just looked this up on Synergy. With the Lakers, he's averaging 0.5 points uh, per possession on post-ups, which is in the third percentile in the NBA. So just <laughs> well, just awful. And, and you know, you, we've seen it where he, he gets the ball in the post. He, he turns it over. You know, he dribbles it off his foot. He gets stripped. He forces up a contested shot. That, that misses and you know th- that's kind of been my only criticism of him is, is just too much post play but i think just figuring out the spacing with those two and the offensive fit is going to be really interesting because if it doesn't work i mean you can't just go to ad more at the five but 
I think that's going to put the, the whole center spot, which we've been talking about for you know what feels like months now, in a weird spot. Because if, if AD is playing 25 to 30 minutes at the center spot, like you only have 18 to 20 minutes for Drummond, Trez, and, and Mark. And and maybe Trez goes to the well, floor a little bit. Yeah, I guess Mark Mark's out. Uh, although I don't think he should be. And, and you and I were texting Correct. about that. But right, but right now he is out. He is out. But but even so, 20 minutes for Drummond and Trez isn't much either. Both of those guys expect to be playing 20 plus minutes. So it, it puts you in an interesting spot if the Drummond AD fit isn't clean. And we have it. We I mean we've seen a lot of AD next to Mark, which I think makes a lot of sense just because Mark can space the floor. He operates above the arc, gives AD inside the arc. We have seen some AD Trez, but. I think AD Drummond is, is going to be just a fascinating thing for me of, of just how do those two look together? How do they fit? Um, is there a way the Lakers can use Drummond to still give AD spacing on the block and in, in, in the mid post and the elbows? Like, how does that spacing look? Um, so that, that to me is the most interesting thing, I, I think, for me. Uh, because everything else, like defensively, we know AD is going to fit in seamlessly. He's the defensive captain along with LeBron. Um, I don't have as much concern with that. Uh, but but also maybe just how how does AD look and can he get back to the AD of the bubble of Orlando, right? Because, you know, I think the Lakers ceiling, when AD's at that level, I think they're unbeatable. Like, you know, put them up against anybody. I just don't see how they lose. When he's at the version of him we've seen earlier this season, I think they're slightly more beatable. And and that that to me maybe is is more even more interesting than the drum and fit. So, Jovan, you are completely sold that the Lakers at strength, if AD is the AD we saw last year in the playoffs, are not just favorites. You've got them as prohibitive favorites. Well, I do think Brooklyn can beat them. I think I think Brooklyn's really good. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to downplay them. Um, I, I do think that based on what I've seen in the two matchups, and it's hard to take away too much because neither team was whole and you know, AD didn't play in either one of them. I just think the Nets defense is is so bad. They have a similar but even you know worse problem than the Lakers where you know the Lakers have had had uh, to make some offense defense kind of trade-offs with, with, with like Trez versus Mark. But with, with the Nets, it's like, you know, they signed LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin uh, like kind of outbid Miami or, or the Lakers or whoever else was, was in the mix. And I think those guys being former multi-time all-stars, like, you know, Blake Griffin, I, I think is probably going to be a hall, you know, future hall of famer, or at least in the conversation, LaMarcus Aldridge quietly kind of has a case as well, based on some of the other people that have made the, the, the hall. Like those guys, I don't think are just going to be, I think they're okay with smaller roles, but I don't think they're okay with just being benched outright. So you, you have to find a certain amount of minutes uh, for those guys. And I felt like when those guys were on the floor, the Lakers got to the rim pretty much whenever they wanted. And really for the Nets, like against the Lakers, you probably need more DeAndre Jordan or Nicholas Claxton. And I don't know right. if those guys are going to get enough minutes. So I just think matchup wise, the Lakers have the personnel to match up with the Nets perimeter stars. The Nets don't have the personnel to match up with LeBron and AD, in my opinion. KD can't guard both of them. He's probably the best guy to put on one of the two. But after that, like I forgot how good of a game LeBron had that first game. But he was getting to the rim literally whenever he wanted against the, the Nets in that first game. He shot 14 to 23, just absolutely roasted Jeff Green, was pounding him, you know, shoulder in the chest, getting to the rim, layup, layup, layup. Uh, I just don't see how Brooklyn, like what they can do to defend that. I mean, maybe it's going zone. I, I don't really know. But and then aside from Brooklyn, like I guess the, the Clippers are in the mix, maybe the Bucks, the Sixers, but I still like the Lakers more than those teams. So I don't know. Prohibitive might be strong, but I do think their status is the favorites to me as long as they're healthy. So thing that we need to adjust from 
past conversations about the Lakers' playoff path is the West. The West has mm-hmm. changed and been reshaped pretty dramatically since our last conversations about this. And that's in the form of the of the injury, the ACL injury to Jamal Murray. The Lakers right now, I believe, are sitting in fifth in the West. A series with the Nuggets in the first round, you know, looked pretty, pretty likely. Now, that is not the concerning uh, matchup that, you, that it might have been before. I mean, the Nuggets still have the guy who I think is probably the MVP of the league this year in Nikola Jokic. Yeah. That is a tough matchup, but one the Lakers have overcome before. The Nuggets are a little different from last year when the Lakers took care of them in five games. But 48 hours ago, if we were talking about the Lakers playoff path, we would have been sitting here saying it's basically a Western Conference Finals caliber matchup all three rounds just to get through the West. And I don't think you can say that anymore now if they do in fact encounter Denver without without Jamal Murray. And in fact, I would say, um, let me pull the standings up here to make sure I'm, 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 I'm right with what I'm saying here. But I really think that, you know, the Clippers and the Jazz are the two, the two teams that you worry about in the West. Um, you know, the Suns are fascinating, but I don't see them as a, a real threat to beat the Lakers, to actually beat them in a seven-game series. It'd be a fun series. But the Lakers are in fifth right now. The Nuggets are in fourth. And you would have looked at that going into the playoffs um, that it, you know, like that is an absolute mammoth tilt in the first round. Now it isn't. So how do you look at the Jamal Murray injury, Yovan, through the Lakers' lens? Does that help them in ways beyond just having a slightly easier path, assuming that's the matchup? Or do you not think that it matters who they play or, or how they play them? I think that, as lo- again, as long as they're healthy, there are different, like more difficult paths than others. I, I think playing the Clippers in the first round is not ideal, right? Like I, I think that's a six or seven game series. I think the Lakers could lose that series. I would pick them over the Clippers, but... If you told me the Clippers won that series in, you know, six or seven, like I'm not completely shocked. So for me, it's specifically pushing off the Clippers matchup for as long as possible. And it does look like, though, for the Murray component, I mean, there's a chance that I think that affects Denver in at least a few games, right? Like, you know, Jamal Murray is really, really good. He's their second best player, was playing progressively better throughout the season, was starting right. to regain his bubble form. And I think to lose that player, like, Denver's deep, and we've seen this with them in previous seasons where they always have like one or two key guys down, and they they just have the depth to withstand that in the regular season. Uh, but I think it affects them where you know they probably lose two to four more games in the rest of the regular season. That can be the difference between the four seed and the six seed. Uh, so I, I'm actually looking at it now, and I just wrote this. Like I think the Lakers, it, it flipped from like as recently as even a few days ago. We were talking about, are they going to be in the play-in? Are they going to be the seventh seed? Right. You know, they've won two of their last three, three of their last five. And that just little key stretch there, they yeah. look like they could be the four seed and either playing a Denver team without Jamal Murray, which significantly shifts the way we view that matchup, or a Portland or Dallas team who, while still good, they just don't scare you as much as Utah or the Clippers or Phoenix, right? So it's still a tough matchup. You know, Dallas or Portland could push the Lakers to six. I'm personally more afraid of Dallas. I saw what Luka did to the Clippers last year. And the the Clippers on paper were tailor-made to defend Luka Doncic with with Kawhi, with PG, with Pat Beverly. He roasted all of them. None of those guys could guard him. And and when I look at, you know, that potential matchup for the Lakers, I'm like, Luka's going to get his. And and he's good enough to get his and create for everybody else. So if we knew a week ago, you know, they're not going to be in the seventh seed. They're going to be the four seed and have either a compromised Denver team or or Portland or Dallas. Like you take that if you're the Lakers. So 
next week we could be having this conversation much differently where they, you know they lose to Boston they lose to Utah twice like you know they're falling down the standings and maybe this is a temporary kind of you know good feeling around the team until AD or LeBron is back but I think kind of bigger picture this is at least making the first round easier the second round is going to be tough because if they get in the four or five they're going to have to play Utah and then they're going to have to play Phoenix or, or the Clippers in the conference finals like that's yeah. still a tough path but at least in the first round as you're still getting those reps together, which is yes. going to be important for the for the Lakers, like having an easier opponent, again, be it a compromised Denver team or Portland or Dallas, who I just don't think are on the level of those other West teams. That's another win, I think. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I thought last year when the Lakers played the Blazers in the first round, it wasn't that you know the Blazers were going to beat them that made that such an interesting matchup. It's that playing Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and Nurkic came back, obviously, you had to be locked in. It required a level of focus that maybe you wouldn't have required if it had been Memphis or New Orleans in the eighth seed last year. And I feel like there's maybe something to be said for Denver providing the same kind of challenge uh, without Jamal Murray. And I, I, I don't want to diminish what Denver does. You know, that is a team that I think you could have rightly said was in the championship mix healthy. They just aren't without Jamal Murray. I mean, he just he just handles, you know, so much of that secondary load for for them that I don't think they have anybody who can step up in kind of that that primary playmaker spot from the perimeter. I mean, Monte Morris has established him as a, as a solid pro, you know, but like Compazzo is not he's not Wally Pipping um, <laughs> uh, Jamal Murray. So the kids don't even get that reference, Yovan. Uh, but I do think that for the Lakers, I mean, that matchup almost would be the best case scenario because you're going to get a championship level of preparation and, you know, sort of attack from the Nuggets, but they're not going to have the firepower to keep up. So even if it's a five-game series, you know, LeBron, AD, Drummond, you know, all those guys who are still kind of getting reacclimated are going to be able to sharpen their knives uh, against each other uh, or with each, with each other against the Nuggets. So I, I agree. And then maybe, like you said, Jazz in the second round, um, and then, you know, depending on, I think that series mostly just comes down to how you defend the three and how the jazz shoot the three, because the jazz have become one of the, you know, the all time most prolific three point shooting teams. And if, if they, if they are hot and they're shooting, you know, 45% for three over the course of a series, you might, you're probably going to lose because the jazz are built to beat anybody as long as they can play their game. Um, but so three point defense will be huge. And then, and then the conference finals and, and so on last night, Yovan, the Lakers beat the, the Charlotte Hornets. Um, solid win, not terribly surprising, uh, the result, but the last minute of that game was interesting because, uh, it kind of was the Alex Caruso show. 
And we've seen this from him before where he has done, you know, where he's had these late game heroics that maybe don't show up in the box score. You know, he had the he had the play where he got back defensively against Jalen Brown in Boston. That was obviously obviously um, much ballyhooed. And he had some of the same uh, last night. There was a rebound. He had a defensive possession against one of the the Hornets guards um, that, you know, forced him into a bad shot at the end of the shot clock that Frank Vogel was praising. But he also kind of knocked down the, the, the three to ice the game. And it got me thinking. You know, last year, Contavious Caldwell-Pope was arguably the Lakers' third best player um, in, in the playoffs and certainly in the finals. Rajon Rondo ended up being tremendously valuable, even though at one point it looked like he may not even be able to play again uh, after breaking another bone in his hand. If you had to guess right now, who will be the Lakers' most important role player in in the playoffs? Is it Alex Caruso? Does it need to be a certain player for the Lakers to win? We didn't game plan any of this, by the way. I'm just no, like, throwing questions didn't. at you. That I like to exercise your brain. Are we deeming everyone that is not LeBron and AD a role player, or or how? I think how for this exercise we can. Sure, sure. Okay, th- th- then I think it's Dennis. Um, I, I think it, it, it's Dennis, uh, followed probably by KCP as a close second, and then I'd put Alex third. Uh, for, for me, that the centers aren't as important just because I, I think... AD is going to play all those minutes. AD is going to play those minutes. And if one of them is struggling, you have three options. And, and you, you have the optionality to go to different looks depending on the opponent. So like, I think Mark's probably out of the rotation. But if you're if you're playing Denver, I think Mark should be in the rotation. Like, you know, th- no that's question. a series where, you know, Trez is probably getting the, the boot and just not playing. And it's, it's Mark, you're throwing Mark and Drummond on Jokic, and if he gets them in foul trouble or is toasting them, you go to your trump card, which is putting AD on Jokic. And we saw that formula work for the Lakers uh, in the conference finals. So I think the center spot I'm not as concerned with. Um, it's the perimeter. And I think Kuz could also be in that conversation. You know, maybe he's right there with Alex. But for me, it's like KCP is the, the quote unquote shooter for this team. He is their primary floor spacer. And you know, I think he's just a guy that he needs to be hitting shots and he's the guy I have the most confidence in, in, in hitting shots and spacing the floor. So if he's not shooting, I think that does change kind of the dynamic of it just puts pressure on other guys to have to step up where I think he's the best equipped to be that three and D guy that they need on the wing. For me, it's Dennis because I think we've seen with Dennis when he has really good games, like, you know, he, he kind of acts as that third star, like he, he kind of. Uh, you know, people made the, 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 uh, a bit of the, the Tony Parker comparison with him. And I think, of course, he's not on Tony Parker's level, but at his best, he can function in that kind of Tony Parker role where he is being that secondary uh, creator and, and attacking in the pick and roll, getting downhill, hitting his floaters, making his layups, and then also pressuring the ball. And we, we've seen him play really good defense for, for most of the season. So Dennis is a guy that, um, you know, I, I feel like just given his role on the team, uh, given the fact that he's an impending free agent, uh, this is a huge postseason for him. And I think if he can largely be the good version of Dennis that we've seen uh, and taking smart shots, making smart decisions when he's going downhill, uh, again, that, that that's basically a third offensive star for this team, which I think you know they didn't have last season and they, they were good enough to win without that. But I, I do think part of the reason the Lakers made the Danny Green trade was to ease the offensive burden on LeBron and AD and, and you know get another guy who could create easy shots for them and a guy who could you know build with, with with their core. So if Dennis can do that, I really think again this raises their offensive ceiling because 
I think we, we've seen the defense is fine. Like the defense, no matter almost who you throw out there, the Lakers don't really have bad defenders in their you know, rotation. And and to me, the worst defender is probably Ben McElmore and, and he's the 13th guy. So it's like, aside from that, Trez, THT, like they have their flaws, but when you're putting four good defenders around them, they look fine. So the Lakers like are going to figure out the defensive part. It's for me, the offense. And that kind of starts with Dennis and his ability to specifically when LeBron's not on the floor, you know, in those eight to 10 minutes, as you and I wrote uh, a couple months ago, um, like w- what's happening in those eight to 10 minutes with LeBron off the floor and, and can Dennis, you know, guide the ship so far, it's been a mixed bag. You know, I, I've actually not really been impressed with what the offenses look like led by Dennis, but that's been no AD. So maybe AD's back next week and, and we're getting a little preview of like, can the Lakers build some successful AD Dennis lineups that they can use in the postseason? when LeBron rests. And that, that to me is a fascinating subplot. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd go with Dennis. Who, who would you pick? Well, I mean, it is, it is interesting because, you know, there are some pretty important play there. There, there are some, it's, you think of someone like Alex Caruso more as like the role player, right? The guy as the guy who can like sort of step up and, and, and make those game changing plays. But in terms of like needing consistent output from, you're probably right. I mean, it's, you need Dennis to be everything that, that he's been billed as, you know, he needs to be, he needs to be, um, efficient uh shooting the ball he needs to he needs to get the turnovers down and if you know he can do those things it's kind of an obvious pick i suppose you know i think i was thinking a little bit more like oh could you know can caruso become the lakers third most important player or or markeith morris but um you know with the way this roster is built the lakers have significantly more firepower than they did a year ago you know dan Schroeder is a vastly more dynamic offensive player than anyone else the Lakers had uh, beyond LeBron and AD yesterday or yesterday, my goodness, last <laughs> year. So I, I think, um, so I think, I think you're right. I agree with you. I had one quick point on uh, KCP that I wanted to make sure to get in uh, before we moved on, um, which is he was one for five from three uh, last night against, against Charlotte. Before that, he had had he'd had uh, six straight games that he'd made at least he'd made multiple three pointers longest stretch of the year by far, um, and he was shooting fifty five percent from three over those over those six games and averaging fourteen point seven points. Now you know players get hot all the time. I'm not saying that um, that that means that he has turned it around, but when you consider that really before that and let me pull this up before that game uh, start starting with the Sacramento game on the road trip. If you go back to the game in Milwaukee, which was kind of the last time he really got hot and really shot the ball well before this road trip, that was 32 games that he was shooting 31% from three. So I think you have to look at this sample size of this road trip where he shot 55% from three um, would be would be. Um, you know, hopefully a sign that maybe he's getting a little closer to the KCP of the postseason when he was a really reliable, um, you know, spot up three point shooter. And you've seen him create actually a little bit um, for himself off the dribble uh, on this trip, which is which is new. And so I think, you know, a little varied offensive game from KCP is a is a is a good thing. So if you're looking for the, if you want to see the Lakers win the championship, it's probably not just they need one guy to to you know, kind of settle into, into that third role. I mean, it's a lot, you need a lot of guys to sort of become the best versions of themselves. And I think you saw that from KCP on this road trip. hundred percent. And I was surprised. So I did a, you know, seven thoughts or seven things we learned from uh, the, their seven game trip. And what, one of the categories was uh, just the offensive scoring distribution. And I did a little table with, with everyone's scoring output on, on the trip. And, I was surprised KCP was third on the list. It was Kuz, 
then Dennis, which, you know, we, we kind of expect. Uh, I actually thought Dennis would have been first, but um, he, he tailed off towards the end of the trip. But it, it was Kuz, Dennis, and, and then KCP third. And I guess the second takeaway for me, uh, aside from the, the the defensive takeaway, is just this team has so much offensive firepower. And I think you, you might not think that when you look at some of the games they've played recently and they're scoring. I mean, they're struggling to get to 100 points and the turnovers are bad and stuff. But like, as... You know, Kuz has said, as Frank has said, as different guys have said this season, these guys are all like, you know, this roster was designed to be, you know, around LeBron and AD. These guys were not like, if this team is playing without LeBron and AD, like we've seen, we've seen it, right? Like they're going to lose in the first round. They might lose in like five games or something. Like it's going to be ugly. But if they're, you know, with LeBron and AD, everyone kind of slots into their correct roles. And I just think like, they had six guys averaging double figures on this trip. Yeah. They had another four guys averaging eight or more points. So you had 10 guys averaging eight plus points, which I think is just a testament to the offensive depth and, and versatility they have where it felt like every game there was like two to three guys stepping up that, that hadn't stepped up in the previous couple of games. And it was just kind of a rotating cast of, okay, tonight it's, it's Dennis and KCP. You know, the next night it's, it's Trez and Kuz. The next night, it's it's Drummond and Ben McElmore against Brooklyn. Like it just was a rotating cast, and I think that to me bodes well for the Lakers moving forward because you know Frank has talked about this a lot that he thinks this is going to pay dividends down the road for them in the postseason. This experience of having guys in roles and minutes they're not used to and pushing them out of their comfort zone, like that will help them in a key situation or two in the postseason. And and I think. You know, we, we've seen that with San Antonio in the past when when they would rest their stars and Patty Mills comes out and gets you 30 points and, and wins you right. a, a, a game on TNT. And, uh, you know, and then that that translated into the postseason. And, and, you know, when you need a big shot from Patty Mills, he's going to hit that shot. So I think for the Lakers, um, just the, you know, KCP got his groove back. He's been playing so much better. But but just overall, having different guys be forced into uncomfortable situations I think is an experience that actually could help them down the road. And, and even though it's been ugly, even though they've lost some games that they wouldn't have lost had LeBron and AD been healthy, I, I just think that experience could end up being actually more valuable than, than having LeBron and AD in a way. And, and you know, we'll only kind of see, uh, we'll only know once once this all plays out. But I think if you see a, a scenario in which like, you know, THT or, or Kuz or whoever has a big game, or steps up in a big moment, you know, it's going to partially stem from from this stretch. And I think that's another kind of silver lining to all of this. Turnovers remain a problem, last in the Oof. NBA in turnovers <laughs> per game, which is because we're talking about how great the road trip was. I do want to couch it with the fact that there are still problems. Yeah. I'm curious, though, like we have not gotten uh, updates really from the Lakers on the on, on the on the health of LeBron in 80. You know, every question is sort of met with, you know, they're still on their their path to recovery. You know, we'll give updates when it's appropriate. Um, there's really been no, and this is a different, this is a different year where we aren't in the practice facility. We're not seeing, um, you know, what AD might be doing at the end of practice off to the side with Phil Handy or you know, whatever it is. So it's, it's different in terms of like what we're able to actually glean from just being around. Um, but what is your sense of of these injuries, and do you have a fear at all? I mean, are how confident are you that this is go- that they will both be back, and the injuries will not be a problem through the playoffs? That they will they will be back, they will be healthy, and the injuries will be behind them. Or is there any concern on your part that 
you know, ADs dealing with a, you know, a, a soft tissue injury in a very scary area. Is this something he's going to be dealing with and could potentially flare up throughout the rest of the season and, and kind of the same with LeBron's ankle. What's your level of confidence that they are going to be at full strength going into the playoffs? I think with LeBron, we never, did we ever get the full severity of the injury? I don't think we did in in terms of the, the grade of the ankle sprain. Um, So I think just because he's LeBron, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and say that, I think he's going to make a full recovery whenever he comes back, you know, most likely, you know, another two to three weeks that, you know, he's going to just not look like he missed a beat and come back and, and just be LeBron. And maybe he's on a minutes restriction for a few games or whatever, but he's a mutant. Like he, he's just not, you know, he's Wolverine. Like he, he's just, he's different. So I think with LeBron and it, and it being a ankle, you know, high ankle sprain to our knowledge, again, we don't know the full severity of it. And if it's more serious, then I'm, I'm going to have a different answer. But to what we know, I, I think, you know, high ankle sprain, you usually recover from that. It does take a while, but, you know, he that and I mean, he's already missed uh, almost a month. So by the time he returns, it's going to be over a month. So I think with LeBron, I just kind of default to he's probably going to be fine and, and, and normal. AD is the tricky one because it's it's not just the injury, the, you know, basically two different injuries of, of having the calf strain and then also having the Achilles tendinosis and um Based on you know the the research I had done on Achilles tendinosis, and then also knowing from the Kawhi situation where he had quad tendinosis, like this is something that can linger for not just weeks, not just months, but years, and, and this could be something that AD has to deal with for multiple years, if not the rest of his career, potentially depending on how severe it is. So the AD one does give me some pause. Of um, you know, it's also like he's missed so much time. I mean, we just said today's the two month mark. He's probably going to miss at least another week, if not a little bit longer. And at that point, you've just missed, you know, 40 plus games where it's hard to come back from that and you kind of, you know, hit the gate running. So he's going to have some type of ramp up, warm up period where he's going to probably be on a minutes restriction. He's going to need a few games, a few reps uh, to, to get him going. So I think if there's a concern, it's. AD and and just the recurring nature of this injury and, and the potential for it to flare up again. But the calf strain is probably fine right now, right? Like it's it's probably the Achilles tendinosis that they're just trying to figure out how to manage. And it's a pain tolerance thing and just, just getting his leg maybe stronger and, and healthier. But I don't feel great about the AD situation. That is my biggest pause with saying the Lakers are the favorites. So I don't know if I'm kind of contradicting myself here, but I mean, yeah, that, that would be my only kind of thing. I think LeBron's fine, but with AD, you just don't know. What do you think? Where, where are you at with AD? I think it's the same, right? I think his is much scarier than than LeBron. LeBron has something that, you know, comes with a timeline. You know, even if they aren't sharing it with us, high ankle sprains are, you know, pretty easy to diagnose. And there's a there's a lot of um there's a lot of examples of, you know, that, you know, of what of what that actually requires. ADs feels far more nebulous. And I think, you know, you're especially dealing with a guy who has been, you know, prone to, you know, injury in his career and has a relatively low pain tolerance. I do worry about his being a thing that lingers a little bit longer or could flare up throughout. But and I, I, I appreciate your perspective on that, because I think we talk so much about the Lakers. Oh, they're going to be fine. They're just going to be fine. And because it's LeBron. And because LeBron usually is fine, I think that that is a reasonable place to land. But I also think that you have to have a healthy understanding that you don't just 
you know, flip a switch and go back to being, you know, LeBron and AD. I mean, that seems that seems like kind of a fantasy. It does seem like there's going to need to be a little bit of a ramp up. Even if they're winning games, that doesn't mean they're ready to start winning, you know, finals games uh, as soon as they're back on the floor. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, you're going to have, I mean, I just can't really think of an example where you've had a team that has, you know, basically two superstars like this, miss this much time and basically hit the floor again, just in time for the playoffs. I mean, that is kind of crazy. It's going to be a fascinating Fascinating experiment for the Lakers. But like you said, you know, probably still the favorites at, at strength. And we'll and we'll see. I mean, the playoffs are going to start here in about a month. Lakers play the Celtics tomorrow. They're home for a few games. Two against the Jazz. Like you said, they could lose all three of those. We might be singing, singing a different tune by next week. But right now, the Lakers are on a, a relative upswing, winning four out of seven on the road. Kind of hanging around in the West. Not sliding, not in the free fall that many of us anticipated. And like you said, that's an emphatic win for them. So for Jovan Buha, I'm Bill Oram. We'll be back next week uh, to talk more about the Lakers. We'll have a better sense of what's going on with these injuries. We'll have a better sense of of where the Lakers stand after this homestand and a better look heading toward the playoffs. But right now, I mean, despite all that's gone on, the Lakers are in a pretty reasonable and decent spot. And we'll see if that holds. Thank you for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.